Okay, well, welcome everybody. Uh, come on in. We just got here, and um, we're continuing today through the book of Exodus, and um, we'll be uh, continuing through this book for basically the next couple months. Uh, next week, though, just heads up, will be a special Sunday, a special Sunday school class, and also worship service. Um, we're uh, going to have um, an OPC minister named Lowell Ivy come to present to us about a prison ministry um, that he's doing. Um, I think this will be quite relevant to us since hopefully you saw the email about Clint and um, the gift God's given us of a good relationship with him. Um, and so he's going to be sharing, he's got an amazing testimony. Um, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, hopefully he'll share it with you. Um, but uh, He'll share about that ministry during Sunday school, and then um, he'll also bring the word for us um, during worship. So definitely look forward to that. But for today, we, uh, we're going to dive into um, the Ten Commandments. And um, just want to remind you of what we talked about in the first class on Exodus. We talked about how the entire Bible is Christian scripture. The entire Bible is Christian scripture. Let that sink in for a second. That includes the Old Testament. The Old Testament is Christian scripture. It is not, oh yeah, you know, um, the Jews, they had their Bible and we kind of like borrowed that from them. <laughs> um, and we're, we're sort of like reading Jesus into the Old Testament when he wasn't really there. Um, far from it. Um, actually, um, the faith of Old Testament Israel is our faith, okay, and that needs to be carefully stated, right, because the Jewish faith today has gone a completely different direction, <laughs> okay, um, in lots of different ways, we don't have to get into that right now, but the Old Testament faith is our faith, so think about Romans 4, right, Abraham is the father of all who believe, both Jew and Gentile. Abraham, the father of all those who believe. Abraham is the sort of archetypal man of faith in Jesus Christ. Right? We have to keep getting this into our heads, right? That Abraham believed the promise of the gospel looking forward to Jesus, just like we today look back on the accomplished work of Jesus. And just to extrapolate, that means Moses' faith is our faith, right? Um, the faith that is propagated at Mount Sinai, the religion that is given at Mount Sinai, is our religion. It is our faith. Okay? And when we think about that, it then should not surprise us that the way we practice that faith is one in the deepest possible sense. So, remember when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he quoted Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two great commands, which I hope you realize we're bound by today, those come right out of the Old Testament, right? So that is the core of what we are to be, right? Um, and so when we open to the law of God today, and let's just turn now to um, Exodus 20, I want you to be thinking about this as the law that is given to a people who have fundamentally the same faith as ours. 
So I'm going to read um, Exodus 20, the first half or so, the basically Ten Commandments, and then we'll, we'll process it um, together, think about it together. So this is Christian scripture. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. All right, obviously a whole lot to be said here. <laughs> um, we won't be able to really dive into all the commands here today. Um, but in case I forget to mention this later, there is an entire Sunday School series that I did like five years ago where I did dive into every single command. Um, but for today, I want to treat this in two parts. I want to talk about how this passage shows us gospel living. That's the kind of the first half together. And the second part, I want to talk about one of the commands, the command we most often forget as we ponder what's on the next couple of verses. Um, but let's just talk about verse 2. Look at this. There's a lot in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Is that a command? It is not. What kind of a statement is it? Kind of like a declaration of, of truth, right? Of reality, right? So what is this statement declaring about God? What is it saying about who he is? again he's sovereign okay how, how do you see that uh, <laughs> well I mean if he like pulled him out of slavery from Egypt which was a big kid in, on the block at the time right right and then he obviously through like the plagues and all that kind of stuff shows that this is I'm carving you out for myself yeah excellent yeah so the, that redemptive act tremendous power that's being brought, and it's coming to mind, right, as we're thinking back 
I know it was last year we talked about all those plagues and everything, but it is terrific sovereignty over creation and over the nations for a redemptive purpose. Yeah. Uh, so he also is declaring that he's their God and he's their savior. Excellent. Yeah. Let's talk about each of those. So first he says, I am the Lord, your God. Okay. So what is that? What's that saying about God's relationship to his people? He has authority over them. Good. What else? Yeah. That the Lord belongs to them. Good, yes. And that's something that's sort of uh, hard for us to wrap our head around, right? Like uh, um, God belongs to us. We, we get the idea that we belong to God, but God actually belongs to us in the sense that a married couple, each partner, belongs to each other. Um, there's an exclusive, special relationship. Um, whenever we hear this phrase, I'm the Lord your God, we should be remembering the other half of the covenant formula, which is, you are my people, right? You shall, be my pe you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That is the covenant formula, and that is um, a marriage picture as well. So like in the Song of Solomon, um, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It's actually the same syntax, same sentence structure, yeah. right? You belong to me, I belong to you. We're in permanent covenant with each other. So I know there are several verses in the New Testament about election, and that verse seems to point rather to who belongs. God yeah. has elected them as his people. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of grace there, that idea of election, right? That, that God chose them out of all the peoples of the earth for this special relationship. Um, the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the peoples of Canaan and all of those guys, they cannot s say this about themselves, right? This is only true of Israel. Israel is the one that God has chosen for himself. Um, they now belong to him. And let's just focus in particular, you, you've both, some of you have already brought this out, but when he says, you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, what is that saying about Israel's status. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yeah, Logan. They are no longer slaves. They are redeemed. Yeah, would you like to add? I would just say there's a special status because they've been freed from. Yeah. Yeah, so are they slaves? No. Um, they have been brought out of slavery to Egypt so that, and then there's, a, there's been this word play, the whole book of Exodus is sort of hard to see in English because um, the word in Hebrew for um, serve as a slave is actually, interestingly, also the word that is used for worship, right? So um, let my son go that he might worship me, right? Um, that's a talking about the true freedom that we have in, in our relationship with the Lord to serve him and to worship him, as opposed to what was happening with, with Egypt, um, the kind of oppressive kind of slavery there. Um, so just, just thinking about this now for our own part um, here. 
can you see how this statement gets transposed into a higher key in the new covenant? Can you see how we can actually read verse 2 as being about us with a few very simple changes? Well, I, I guess it would be we're being, we're being freed from the enslavement of sin. Yes, yes, we are being freed from the enslavement of sin. Um, remember that wonderful quote, um, I think I read it first class of this time, but also um, at the end of last time where um, this Old Testament scholar, uh, he took all the language of, uh, I wish I had written it back down here to, to say it again to you, but he said, you know, basically we can say, um, for the new exodus, as new covenant Christians, lots of the same things here that, uh, that are being said about Israel. So, um, we once were slaves. That's true. They were slaves of Egypt. We are slaves of sin. But God took the initiative to rescue us. That's right. God took the initiative to rescue Israel. That, you know, he called Moses, said, you're going to be the one who leads them out of Egypt, right? He called Jesus and... And, and sent him to earth and then constituted him as of the Messiah with the baptism of John and the spirit coming upon him. And then what happened? He rescued us with the blood of the Passover lamb. That's right. Blood of the Passover lamb, many lambs in the case of Israel. The one lamb, Jesus Christ, in our case. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Exodus imagery, right? Um, and then he brought us out of that bondage to serve and to worship him, obviously to the king, right? So we are the recipients of the new and better exodus. Now, let's just think about this. As we're thinking about how we, how we conceive of obedience in the Christian life, what do you lose if you take verse 2 away and God just starts saying to them, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. What do you What do you lose when you don't have that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy is looking for the mic to go for it. <laughs> you have the the motivation or the reason for uh, for obedience. Yeah, you have the motivation, the reason for obedience. Um. Good, excellent. And that, that is so important, right, that our motivation is right. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. What, what else? Like, in terms of um, if, if God just comes to us and says, okay, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, how does that frame our relationship with him in a different way? Yeah. Um, without that, you lose who it is that you're obeying and why you should obey. Yeah. Right. You lose who it is you're obeying, why you should obey, connected to what Jeremy was saying. You're, you're losing that sense of identity of who God is and who we are. Did I say that again? Yeah. I was going to say, um, sometimes you might hear, like, people complain about, man, God, Old Testament God seems really bad and capricious. <laughs> right. And right. He's really, like, genocidal. Harsh. And and yeah. Exactly. So right. without that other portion, right, maybe there's some truth to that in that sense of, like, you're only mine, I'm not really yours. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's not the God that would maybe even create Jesus to, you know, come down and die for us. So that's right. Um, yeah, that there's a completely, um, you know, 
one-sided thinker. That's exactly right. Yeah. Another another thing is first God, first God rescues, then he, then he demands obedience. So key, right? First God rescues, then he demands obedience. It's a completely different religion if we say, do these things, and that's how you're in relationship with God, versus you are in a relationship with God. You are saved by grace. It's already true. Now, therefore, obey, right? Just think again about Ephesians 2 real quick. It's such an important thing. Um, that that this, this, this is what is so counterintuitive to us, even as Christians, that it's not we did all this good stuff. No, it's rather, but God, who is rich in mercy, when we were dead in our trespasses, made, alive, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, not of works. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. And then he says, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you see? Like, it's not of good works so that no one can boast, but it's for good works. Grace, then works. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, Dan. Well, and also, if you're just rules-based, it's easy to just say, I took the minimum requirement, and then Jesus says that, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it say, do not murder, but I say this, this, and this. So it's yeah. it, it, it gives us easy outs, like, you know, the lawyer that says, I can skirt to the rules. I'm just going to go. Yeah, I've, d- I've done all this for my youth, right? Um, oh, really? <laughs> It's also going back to like even a little while in the Hebrew, it's a transfer of kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're transferred out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God yeah, and the presence. Right. And I think of presence as wonderful devotion I heard this weekend. Like he's asking, why are we still here? And it's like a training ground for the country that we're going to. So then you have like all of the commands following for how do you live in the kingdom of God? How do you prepare yeah. for the new country that we are going to? Right, yeah. You're no longer slaves. You're my people. So here's how you live in the kingdom of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's the creator. He's making a new creation um, here. He's making all things new. And this is the, the beachhead that God is making in this broken, sinful world. Um, this is going to be huge soon as we look at the tabernacle, which has all kinds of creation imagery woven into it. Woven into it. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to definitely come back to that theme. In fact, we'll bring it up again when we talk about uh, the commands that we're just discussing. So here's what I want us to focus on as we're kind of about to transition to the next phase here. God establishes in the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, a gracious relationship. Don't let anyone tell you, oh, that Old Covenant, it was all about works. Thank goodness for the New Covenant, it's about grace. When that person says that, you say, uh, could we read Exodus 20, verse 2 again? <laughs> I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out? <laughs> like, grace. Then we obey. 
And the reason why we obey is because of grace. Um, and so God loved us. God first loved us, so we love God in return. It's not um, a debtor's ethic, as Piper would uh, points out. Um, it's not God has worked for me, so now I'll have to return the favor and work for him. Um, God has given me more than I could ever pay back, but I'll devote my life to trying. That's not what this is about. No, it's rather God has brought us into this covenant fellowship with him. He's poured out his love on us. We could never repay him. It's all of grace. But what do we want to do? We're so filled with the love of God that he graciously gave to us that we want to love him well in return. And so what we find here in the verses that follow is God's 10 love languages. Really love your spouse? Awesome. Figure out, you know, what, what, how do they feel loved, right? And of course, love is more than just what makes them feel loved. Sometimes we have to say it, um, you know, hard and challenging words, right? Um, but part of love is understanding here's what this person, what this person needs, how they are wired differently from us, right? And God is saying, here's what I, he doesn't need it, right? He doesn't need our love. But here's what I consider good. This is what I call holy living. And this is all the restoration of the, the creation, just like uh, Paul was bringing out. Um, on the one hand, the preface to the Ten Commandments is Exodus 20, verse 2. Okay? So, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's the preface to the Ten Commandments. On the other hand, the preface to the Ten Commandments is Genesis 1 through Exodus 19. Right? And what does that do when you start reading the Ten Commandments in light of Genesis 1 through Exodus 19? You start to remember, oh, God created human beings to be image bearers, to be reflections of him. How do you reflect God? How do you reflect his holy character? I have no other gods before him. Do not worship carved images. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain, etc. <laughs> right? So... God is restoring image bearers, making people like himself. That's part of what redemption is. And now we see it in action in the, in the Ten Commandments. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, I can't place where the scripture is, but there's a scripture where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that that's kind of goes right. right along with what you're saying. You know, the, right. the obedience of the commandments is a response to grace, not a, a condition of grace. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, and that just that blessing of realizing that we we love not to earn God's love, but as a response to his love, right? Because he first loved us. And when you really get this, it will save you from two terrible errors, the error of antinomianism and the error of legalism. Legalism, that's what when, when people are saying you got to obey God in order to be loved by God. Antinomianism that says, God loves you, no worries about obedience, both are errors. Now, here's the thing. Those sound like the exact opposite from each other, don't they? Legalism says, you got to work really hard. you got to obey. That way, God will love you. Antinomian says, Psh, God loves you. You don't have to worry about obedience. Those are like the, aren't those the exact opposite? Let me read to you from Tim Keller about how they're actually not. And how in both cases, they don't get Exodus 20, verse 2. 
Legalism stems from the belief that we will have to pry blessing out of God's begrudging, unwilling fingers with all sorts of observances and performance. Get that? Here's God. He's like, well, I guess I'll give it to you. You earned it. The essence of legalism is rooted in a distorted view of God. God becomes a magnified policeman, gives his law because he wants to deprive us and destroy our joy. Antinomianism, that's the opposite. That's the idea of, you know, you don't have to do anything. Antinomianism, interesting, assumes the same grasping, ungenerous, and hard God whose commands cannot be seen as given for our benefit. In both cases, the law of God is viewed not as an expression of his gracious love for us, but rather as a burden, a necessary tool for mollifying an unloving deity. Both mindsets share the same incomprehension of the joy of obedience. They see it as something imposed on us by a God whose love is conditional and who is unwilling to give blessing. The only difference between the two is that the legalist assumes the burden wearily, while the antinomian refuses it and casts it off. But both see God in the same light. What is he saying? Why are the antinomians and the legalists, people who say, don't obey God, and the people who say, you've got to obey God, or you're not going to be saved, why are they the same? Yeah. Is it safe to say obedience means more than sacrifice? Good, yeah. Yeah, that obedience is, means more than sacrifice. That obedience, what, what is he saying obedience is? I think you're exactly on the right track there. What is obedience in the mind of Exodus 20 here? What, what, why do we, uh, why, what's the different view of the law <laughs> that this is given to us? Yeah. Obedience is done with joy and, and willingness yeah. instead of compulsion. Exactly. It's done with joy. It's done with the sense that, like, look, this, these laws are given to us not because God is a killjoy. He doesn't say, um, oh, look, don't commit adultery because I really don't want you um, to have any kind of, like, happiness or fun. He's not saying that. He's, a, he's, he's saying that because, look, to deliver you from absolute misery, do not commit adultery. And so obedience is freedom. Yeah, that's right. Obedience is true. It's the true freedom when we're finally enjoying life the way God made it to be enjoyed. When we're finally living with the grain of creation. And so when God gives us the law, it's not God the killjoy saying, okay, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Remember what Satan was saying um, uh, in the garden? Here's why, here's what he was insinuating. He said, oh, God's keeping you from that one tree because he really loves you so much. He's trying to, he's trying to keep you from the tree of life. On the contrary, he was leading them into freedom. Right? And I just think, wow, do we really get that? <laughs> right? Do we really believe that about God's law? Do you believe that? That, that the Ten Commandments are given for your joy? that you'll never be happier than when you're obeying God, that you'll never be more free than when you're denying your sinful desires, right? That like true freedom and true joy is to be found in loving God and loving your neighbor with great sacrifice to yourself. 
I think that that's something we we don't get <laughs> very often. Um, okay. Any other questions on this about just the the way in which Exodus frames our identity? We're about to shift gears to one of the. So a couple of points here. Uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, for everything that we're observing, thou shalt not is a mm -hmm. positive side to that. Like, don't commit adultery. Love your wife. Excellent. Everybody knows right. that if you love your wife, you love your spouse. There's going to be peace and, and joy in your home. Mm -hmm. So it's for our benefit. That's but right. also the Ten Commandments, we know that nobody can fulfill those completely. Mm -hmm. So he lovingly gave those to us to point us to Christ. That's right. Yeah. So amen to that. Mm -hmm. But jumping ahead, I know we're going through Hebrews right now. And part of the Hebrews message is uh, reminding the, those that come from the Jewish faith, you don't need those works, those right. actions to... God's love and salvation. Yeah. But then if you couple that with James, uh, you and I talked about that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The flip side of that is faith without works is dead. So mm -hmm. you want, once you are saved, then you want to do those works and be obedient. Right. Amen. Yeah. And there's lots of good things there. Um, I, I think the, um, the, the whole idea that every one of these commands has a flip side. Right, you should have no other gods before me. What's the flip side? Really love God with all your heart. Give Him your soul, affection, and worship. Right, um, uh, that's really an important piece of what it means to truly keep these commands. Right, to um, understand that there's a positive, joyful blessing that He's calling us to um, in in even the prohibitions. All right. Well, yes. Um, yeah. Obey. Good. I don't, I don't think I knew that about that song. Thank you for that. Nice guitars. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the, the joy of obeying the God who loves us. That's what Ten Commandments are really about, right? Um, and so, this was, I think, already just brought up. Uh, if we truly love God and we truly appreciate the love he's given us, we will love him in return. If you love me, John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 of the same chapter, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So you can tell how passionate you are about loving God by how passionate you are about his commandments. And I submit to you that the commandment we most often forget is the one that says, remember his days. Remember the Sabbath day. Why does he say it like that? <laughs> because we're pr prone to forget it. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And he says, you, you're not to do any work, neither is any of your servants or your livestock. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and everything in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore he blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. And I think one of the things that um, is just tough for us in the Christian church is that lots of people will say, oh, yeah, Ten Commandments, we should keep those. And they mean it, right? Um, we shouldn't murder. We shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't steal. Good. No other gods besides the Lord. Yes, amen. But then, oh, yeah, Sabbath, that's like Old Testament. <laughs> is it? Right? Are we, uh, are we, as New Covenant Christians, 
to keep the Sabbath day. Well, before we answer that in full, let me just read to you a little bit more from Exodus about how God sees the Sabbath day. So we just read, I just kind of reread it relatively quickly um, there in Exodus 20. Actually, we had heard before, if we had um, kind of done a deeper look, we would have heard in Exodus 16 about the Sabbath day where when God gave the manna, he said, look, on the sixth day, I want you to collect twice as much of the manna because I don't want you collecting manna on the seventh day, right? So we already heard um, an anticipation of this administration there. But um, if you have your Bibles open, just flip over to Exodus thir 31, 13 through 17. Exodus 31, I'm going to begin in verse 13. God's speaking to Moses. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, oh, this is interesting. Okay, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you and your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. That's pretty astonishing, right? And there's actually an instance of this. There's a guy um, profaning the Sabbath, collecting sticks, and um, being stoned, being put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. There it is again. Um, Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Interesting, right? That it's a key reflection of their covenant relationship. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Okay. So as you're taking in that section I just read, and then the part, you can flip back, Exodus 20 as well, um, 8 through 11. Why is he saying they should keep the Sabbath? Why should Old Covenant Israel keep the Sabbath? Yes, Phyllis? Yes, it's a sign that God has sanctified them. So it's a sign that they are in special covenant with God, that he has set them apart as his people. Excellent. So when, you think, when we're thinking about how does Israel manifest that they are a holy people, are, well, there's lots of answers. One is circumcision, right? Like in, their, in the bodies of every male Israelite, there is a permanent mark that says, I belong to God, right? But there's lots of other ways, too. And one outward sign is how they spend their every seventh day in a holy resting with God. That's pretty big, right? And it's a reflection of their, their status as the sanctified people. What else? What are some other um, things that this tells us for why Israel should keep the fourth commandment? Six days the Lord made heaven and manner. Sorry, there's a, uh, they said the catechism to the music, and uh, uh, Lizzie and I are listening to that. <laughs> uh, when, we, um, when we're obedient to the Lord, it shows our devotion to him. Yes. So I, um, he set the example, we follow it, but then it also does something for us. Um, Good. Verse 14 says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Yeah. So what is it doing for us? Like, yeah, we're 
we're being obedient, you know, so I, I don't know. Good. We're going to do lots of things. It's, it's part of our sanctification, so it helps purify us. It helps us yeah. to relax and get our priorities straight and focus what is true and important. Yeah. And all these things that we're doing on the Sabbath is to our benefit. Absolutely. And the our obedience. The, the Sabbath was, not, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like, what's so twisted about how the Pharisees were keeping the Sabbath is they had completely lost the point. This is God who's completely different from Pharaoh, the taskmaster, right, who is not the God that we, we heard about uh, summarized, you know, just the antinomians and the legalist things, the God who's trying to just squeeze every last drop out of us. No, this is a God who treats us like children, like his beloved children. And part of that is he, he works into the rhythm of covenant life the gift of rest, right? No, you, you know, one person said it so well. Um, I, I, when we say I, have, I must, I have to work, God says you must, you have to rest, right? Um, and uh, what a command. Like, I, I want you, you know, it's one thing to, you know, a lot of times we think of authorities as like bossing us around, you know. Do the dishes. Do the laundry, right? God says, take a good rest. <laughs> you know, like what, a, what a gracious God. An incredible command, right? We should not see this as a burden. Um, and it's, of course, not just bodily rest. It's also, like you just said, like it's for our spiritual encouragement. It's why we're here on the Sabbath. Good. Yeah, and hopefully remember also uh, what it says here. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. Seventh day, he rested. What, what's that saying about why we should keep the seventh or the fourth commandment? A model. An example and a model in God himself. Right. Um, did God have to rest? Obviously not. Right. What's he showing us? He's saying, now look, if you want to be a really good image bearer, you're going to rest on the Sabbath. You're not going to do the work of God. In fact, if you're working seven days and you're saying, this is how much I care about God, this is how much I love God, you're, what God's saying is, well, you actually don't understand. You don't understand who I am. So we are in God's image. Therefore, we must rest. Yes. How do we reconcile this with the fact that a lot of people have to work on Sunday, like policemen, sure. firemen, nurses? Yeah, great question. Day. Yeah, I mean... Um, it's not like uh, sicknesses or broken legs or whatever only happen <laughs> like six days a week, right? Uh, it's not like fires only happen for on six days. So, yeah, that's a great question. And, and um, the, the actually, as we'll read in the rest of Exodus, it anticipates this. So, you know, when you find um, your neighbor or even your enemy's uh, animal um, stuck in a pit, you know, falling into this pit on the Sabbath day. You don't say, oh, well, I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath day, so see you later. Um, no, you, you, get the, you get the animal out. Um, and so there's this understanding of works of necessity and mercy as being part of just living in a broken world, even while we're trying to keep the Sabbath day. But even those occupations still need to have a rhythm of rest. Well, I, I struggle because I work in an industry that's 24-7. And so you shut down for a day, you're going to shut down for five months, you mm -hmm. know, or, yeah. and you would say arguably that it's not an equal amount of necessity, but in a manufacturing world that doesn't, if you stop something, it affects the other seven or six days, you know, 
So it's, I, I'll just, I'm throwing this out there. I, I wrestle with this and it's hard because yeah. it's something that I struggle with because there's days I get called in to do stuff on a Sunday yeah. and it's, it's hard. No, this is, this is a great question. And, you know, what counts is a work of necessity. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes there's fuzzy edges there. Um, and uh, especially in, in the present technological society in which we live, there are things that, you know, prophecies that are needing to be tended that go longer than just six days, right? I think that a lot of the, um, a lot of the anxiety about that goes away when we start focusing on, okay, if we really believe this and we're willing to make this radical change, how will it change my whole posture for like what I can actually do for myself? Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that Jesus assured us that we can do good things on the Sabbath. <laughs> That's right. It is not unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's right. Does it, is it also, um, because obviously God didn't have to rest on the seventh day, mm-hmm. he made it for us, is it also a shadow of rest in Christ? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is the key thing I want to do in our time together. There's a lot of questions you could raise about how do we keep the Sabbath. For that, I refer you to an entire Sunday school class that spans on all the important details. Um, you can find that um, under the Ten Commandments class. For this this class, I want us to think, especially as we're thinking about the, the very first half, I want us to think about how in the new covenant, in this, n- this, this relationship of grace in which we find ourselves, how we know that the Sabbath is still something that God wants us to do. And, and just remembering that there's that relationship of grace and therefore law. Taking that thing, we spent the entire first half of the class talking about it, and now applying it to this. Um, so let me just share with you a few, few thoughts about why we should keep the Sabbath in the New Covenant, um, reflecting on grace unto law. And then maybe, maybe we'll have time for some more questions about um, how we keep it well, graciously. Um, first is just, what's, what's the reasoning in this command for why they should keep it? Six days God made heaven and earth, seventh day he rested. In other words... If you're an image bearer, in other words, you're a renewed image bearer, you will live in the way that God himself lived in creation and redemption, right? You'll, you'll follow his pattern. And so has God um, renewed us as image bearers? Yes. Therefore, there's, it, it really doesn't make sense that um, in this new creation time, now so, suddenly we wouldn't keep this. Uh, Jonathan Edwards says that the ancient church, in other words, he's talking about the the people of Israel, was commanded to keep a seventh day in commemoration of the work of creation is an argument for the keeping of a weekly Sabbath in commemoration of the work of redemption and not any reason against it. After all, he says, we read in scripture of two creations, the old and the new. So there's the old creation, when God first made the world, and there's the new creation. What happened? Jesus made all things new, right? And so in the new creation, God entered his rest, Jesus entered his rest. And if we're one with Jesus, you know, let us make every effort to enter that rest, right? We would expect that this is one of these areas where we're now in imitation of not just the creator, but the redeemer, 
we are resting in the way Jesus rested. Um, this is part of why we keep the Sabbath the day that Jesus entered his rest, right? The first day of the week as opposed to the seven. There's also Isaiah 56, 6 and 7, which talks about in the new creation, in the new covenant, um, he says that his, his people, even his eunuchs, will keep the Sabbath. He's looking forward to a day when the Sabbath is honored. This is something that is a restoration blessing, that we're finally able to keep this command from the heart. It's applying this command of keeping the Sabbath and saying in the New Testament era, they're really going to keep the Sabbath. Um, and then there's the apostolic example. So why is it that we have all these instances of on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, John 20, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, that God is taking, um, saying this is the pattern of the early church, that they're meeting together to worship God. And indeed, John 20, verse 19 is particularly cool because on the first day of the week, what happens? Jesus, the risen Savior, comes and visits his people. Well, that's what happens every Sunday here, right? The risen Savior comes and visits with his people. But then there's also, and this I think is the most decisive for me, is just remembering where we are in the story, right? In, the, in the Israel, what was he saying? Here you are in the story. You're set free from bondage. Therefore, this is how you live not in bondage. Um, you rest, and not only that, you don't make other people work. Right? You let them rest as well. The people who you would, you know, be employing, um, your male servant, female servant, the sojourn within your gates, you let them rest too. You're not just a rest taker, you're also a rest giver on the Sabbath day. Right? And so they're living out their place in the story. You're redeemed, therefore act redeemed. Act as those set free from slavery. You're not supposed to be a workaholic. Right? And this is going to require six days of careful work, right, to make it so that the seventh day you actually can rest. Um, it takes a whole week to keep one day holy. Um, but now think about the new creation where we are now in light of Jesus. Uh, Richard Gaffin says this, the weekly cycle impressed upon Adam that he, together with the created order as a whole, was moving toward a goal. That's what was impressed upon Adam, that they were working, moving towards a goal. The weekly cycle impressed upon Adam that he was working towards a goal, nothing less than the eschatological culmination. So when God enters into his rest and then he says, I want you guys to rest with me, then Jesus, what happens? He completes the work of redemption, enters into his rest, and then he says, uh, now you're one with me, enter into my rest. What's happening every Lord's Day when we rest? We are tasting heaven. We are tasting the new creation. We're saying, my life is moving towards the same goal that Jesus' his life is moving towards. Um, it's, it's one of the few remaining um, shadows in this pagan world. Marriage and the Lord's Supper and the Sabbath. These are three of the few remaining shadows in this pagan age. One day, will these temporary marriages be gone? Yes, when the ultimate marriage dawns. One day, will the institution of the supper be over? 
Yes, when the eschatological feast began. One day will be seventh day rest out of six days of labor. One, one day when you rest, will that pass away? Yes, when the everlasting day of rest dawns at the eschatological recreation. And so part of why we're so passionate about godly marriage is where we care about the true marriage. Part of why you should be passionate about a holy rest on the Sabbath day, refraining from work, dedicating it to just resting in the Lord, refreshing yourself in God, giving it as a day that's dedicated towards renewing your relationship with God. Part of why you should be passionate about that is because you're passionate about your everlasting hope. And you're picturing, like, I am not, my, here we have no lasting city. This is the, our passage for today, right? Hebrews 13, 14. Here we have no lasting city. We're seeking the city that is to come. Guess what? You get to live in that city and enjoy what it's like to live there one day out of every seven. Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> um, and yet, we chafe under the Sabbath day, right? And we tend to think of it as like, can we do this? Are we allowed to do that? Ah, <laughs> you miss it. <laughs> right? You miss it. It's about God's love. <laughs> we need this. We need the weekly recentering on love. So these are a few reasons why you, New Covenant Christians, should keep the entire Ten Commandments in a New Covenant sense. You should keep these as New Covenant Christians with delight. Next slide. Back to the question, why do we uh, still keep it? And that argument that somebody made that, well, that was just an old... Old Testament requirement. Right. We do believe that everything in the Old Testament still invoked unless eliminated or modified in the New Testament, right? So there was nothing in the New Testament that said we're doing away with the Sabbath, but it was right. modified as far as the day. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that sort of principle that you're laying out that um, everything in the New Testament, everything in the Old Testament is sort of still in place um, unless, you know, revoked or changed. I, I know that there's a lot of people who, who say that um, and that there are people even in the Reformed camp who would say it like that. I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. Um, and the reason why is I think that the way that the New Testament describes it is ex, you know, Ephesians 2, um, Hebrews 8 talks about the Old Covenant passing away. It is, it is the entire package, the entire Old Covenant package has been crucified with Christ it is, it is gone. The old covenant is no longer in effect. What has taken place instead, birthed out of that old covenant, out of that whole old covenant, covenant order, is the new covenant. And it's what the old covenant is, uh, was always pointing towards. It's, it's like, you know, the real person as opposed to the photograph or as opposed to the, you know, the, the shadow on the sidewalk, right? Um, so there's going to be, there's going to be changes, and some of those changes will not be necessarily specifically spelled out. And this is where, you know, we can get kind of caught up, right? There's nothing in the New Covenant that says um, stop, you know, stop the part about, you know, not you're not allowed to cut aside the hair on the side of your head, right? Or you're now permitted to wear clothing of two different fabrics woven together, right? Yeah, he doesn't have to say that stuff if you understand purpose of those laws. And this is where 
we're getting into a larger discussion we won't be able to get into <laughs> today. But we will be talking more about the law of God in future weeks, so um, hopefully this will start to become clearer. Um, but it's not this sort of arbitrary thing where it's like, well, we discard this, we keep this. Nor was I, nor were you saying that. <laughs> um, but that's what sometimes people can say, right, if they hear um, a position the way I'm um, and Say again. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I th coming from a different background, um, the, the things that are popping up in my head, like that are, would be against what you're saying. Sure. Uh, maybe you can speak to some of those. Like, um, you know, the scriptures that talk about I, one person thinks one day is important, another person thinks another yeah. day is important, but, you know, they're all Romans vague, 14, you know. Two, and, right. you know, the fact that Jesus seemed to be many, many, many times rebuking the Pharisees for yeah. the way that they were doing this. You know, right. he's the Lord of the Sabbath and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and the change from, you know, if it's so important, if it's so vital, why aren't you doing it on the seventh day like the Bible says you should? Right. So all of those things are like rolling around in my brain right now as far as objections to what you're presenting. Maybe I, you may not have time to speak to any of it, but I just wanted to bring it up. Awesome, yeah, thank you. So three objections that I heard just now. Um, number one, what about Romans 14, Colossians 2, that talk about one person honors one day as holy, another one keeps them um, the same, uh, every, day is, every day is the same. And the guy who says every day is the same is the one who's called the stronger brother, uh, the one who regards one day as special <laughs> described as the weaker brother. Um, and then Colossians 2 says it even more strongly. The second objection was, well, let me just discuss that really quick. So I think that what it's what he's describing there, um, and those are hard hard texts, um, and I feel like I did a better job treating those when I did this whole class uh, five years ago. But I think he's talking about um, old covenant Sabbath patterns um, in the sense of um, there there are Sabbaths not just in the weekly Sabbath, but also um, they're supposed to rest the entire Passover week and then other feasts as well. And so there's this whole pattern of Old Covenant Sabbath keeping. It's not just this one day out of seven. So I think he's talking about Old Covenant Sabbath keeping, those who are trying to hold to those things. Um, when he says, look, the reality has appeared, Jesus Christ. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily that there isn't a New Covenant Sabbath that we shouldn't keep. Second objection you raised was... Um, written down the Greek name, <laughs> uh, that uh, yeah, right, and, and that, um, yeah, like, that's the third thing you said, actually, is, you know, why aren't we keeping it to the T um, on the sat Saturday? Um, and again, it has to do with understanding the whole point of the Sabbath as reflecting the image of God. Um, and so now we are bearing not just the image of God, but the image of Christ. And how does Christ keep the Sabbath eschatologically on the first day of the week? And that's why we have the inconsistent pattern. Um, and then the, the second objection you had was also really good. was it <laughs> you want me to was it what was it what i said about him jesus rebuking the pharisees all oh, the time yeah. about yeah, yeah. there yeah yeah and that 
And what is happening there? He's rebuking abuses of the Sabbath, not the Sabbath itself. So um, just like we would say, um, just because somebody's abusing something that's good doesn't make the whole thing bad. Um, the fact that the Pharisees were creating these crazy laws about, you know, you're not allowed to walk this amount of distance on the Sabbath day. This is the maximum amount. You, you know, they may, they'll make all these additional things that really create, make it a burdensome day. And Jesus says, you guys have totally missed the point, right? And so again, that's not, to say, that's not him saying the whole institution is bunk, right? That would obviously not be the case for the old covenant people. And it's also not true for us now in this present time. So, yeah, I mean, these are, these are hard things to wrap our heads around. I'll just say this, personal testimony. When I first realized that God is keep commanding me to keep the Sabbath, um, it was a hard command for me to receive. I, that to this day, I think you probably know this about me. I tend towards workaholism. <laughs> and, uh, and what a blessing to have God command me to rest. And when I started like saying, okay, I know I got a test on Monday. I'm just going to study really hard on Saturday. I'm going to take this whole day to rest. Um, I know I got a whole bunch of homework to do, but I'm going to do it um, when everybody's having fun on Friday and Saturday and stuff. Oh, the blessing that came from having this day where I really didn't have to think about that stuff, where I could just enjoy God. And I grew so much. And I still, to this day, consider the Sabbath day to be one of the greatest blessings in my life. So I hope you'll discover that today, too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the grace of your commands. Thank you that the reason why you command us is because we're already in this wonderful relationship with you. And thank you that the things you command are for our good. If only we would see it that way. Lord, help us keep all ten commands, all ten of these love languages of God. And Lord, especially help us to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it as a gracious institution, as a gift. And to really keep the whole day as holy to you. Lord, it's so hard for us to do. It requires so much rearrangement. Um, and yet... When we start keeping it, realize this really was for our good. And what a gift it is. Lord, thank you for your love. Help us never to misconstrue you as this tyrannical God. We pray that, Lord, as we live in light of your love, that you would help us to show forth your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a reminder to the parents, please, uh, if you don't mind picking up your kids, if you have any in the second two to five-year-old little kids class, that really helps folks. Thank you.